Welcome, Mosaic. Oh, as the house lights dim and everybody finds a seat. You know, this is just a, it's just a time to come, find peace, right? We want to welcome all of you. and If you're online and tuning in at home, we want to welcome you as well. I want you to look across, see if you see a, a friendly set of eyes. I want you to look at, at your faces at home and, and just greet somebody in the name of the Lord. Peace be with you. Peace be with you in the name of the Lord. Isn't that comforting? I was meeting with a guy yesterday, and he's had a pretty rough 2020. I think the majority of us have. And as we were coming out of the Christmas vacation, I said, how are you doing? And he said, man, I'm doing incredible. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, you know, I love the fact. He said, I haven't been to, to the physical church since, since the virus started. But he said, every week, we tune in, and my wife and I sit there with, with the iPad, and, and I literally feel like I'm there. I feel like I can experience the body and being there. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that our church has made a way to do that. And I told him about just getting to see you guys, and he said, man, I long for the day that this is over. I can come, and I can see you guys again. I said, I long for the day that you will too. So, what are you doing for, for community? What are you doing in your community group? And he said, you know, I mean, you guys said, make it smaller. So, um, the girls get together, and the guys get together. And then, once a month, we get together online and spend time. So, I'm still getting community, and I've started practicing those rhythms where spend time in the Word, spend time journaling. So I'm doing the best that I can to, to just meet with the Lord. And I think over 2020, I've grown deeper in my relationship with God. And I said, man, that's incredible. That's a gift from the Lord. Blessings in the name of the Lord. He is our provider. He carries on. 2020, things can get heavy in 2020. Things can get heavy every year. But... You know, when all the, the virus stuff started, most of us would, would make the comment, I don't even know anybody that's had COVID. Now I think there's a lot of us that say, I know somebody that's passed away because of COVID. Or we know somebody that's passed away this year. Grief share is something, joy Stoner was making the comment, Scott, I'm sorry that you always get stuck making the grief share announcement. So I said, Joy, it is a privilege to make the grief share announcement. Ray Vaughn does a ministry that means so much to me because I had no idea how much grief share was going to change my heart and my life. Whenever I went through that, that course and literally just answering the things I didn't know deep down how much hurt I had because of my dad's death. So if you're looking for a way to, to heal right now, if you're looking for a way to, to just engage with others right now, I want to encourage you. This is the final week to sign up for Grief Share and get engaged with that. This is the way 
that you can do that. Okay? Would you do me a favor? Stand with me now. As we start our worship service, let's just now read the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Welcome, Mosaic. Let's have an incredible night. Good evening. Hey. Hey, everybody online, too. Um, we are going to start off tonight with something a little bit interactive. And so before we begin, I'm going to ask the kids to do something for me because you guys are a really big part of this. So if you are anywhere from birth and you understand what I'm saying, all the way up to my high school friends over there, repeat as loud as you can. Shout this after me, okay? Ready? Raise a hallelujah! Raise a hallelujah. One more time. Raise a hallelujah! So we're gonna do a corporate proclamation, kind of like a corporate confession. When it says all on the screen, you can all read it with me, but then the kids are gonna shout, raise a hallelujah at the end of each phrase, at the end of each proclamation. You guys got it? Okay, kids, are you ready? Come on, are you ready? Shout raise a hallelujah one more time. One, two, three, go. All right, everybody, let's say this together. To our rock and redeemer, who equips us with strength and makes our way blameless, we shout. To the good shepherd, who leads us beside still waters and who restores our souls, we shout. To our refuge and strength, our very present help in trouble, we shout. To the Lord who sets the prisoners free and opens the eyes of the blind, we shout. To the Lord who lifts up those who are bowed down and upholds the widow and the fatherless, we shout. To the sovereign Lord who binds up the brokenhearted and comforts all who mourn, we shout. Shout it! You guys are doing great. To the God who reigns over the nations and sits on his holy throne, we shout, kid. To the mighty one who speaks and summons the earth from the rising sun to its setting, we shout. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens to you and you alone. One more time, we shout. This is a new song. I think you guys are gonna love it. Let's sing this together. Sing with me. I'll raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Sing it again. I'll raise a hallelujah. Oh 
Changed. Your character does not change like shifting shadows. You are here in our midst. And if you weren't, this is all in vain. But it's not in vain. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that this is not in vain. We get to meet with the living God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be here. I pray that you would shift our hearts, move around our hearts, open our eyes to be aware of you, that we would dwell with you, that we would enjoy you, only to realize we've been being enjoyed by you. Thanks for your friendship. We love you. Mosaic family, make this our proclamation tonight. Hands raised, sing this loud. My foes are many. They rise against me, but I will hold my ground. I will not fear the war. I will not fear the storm. My help is on the way. My help is on the way.
victory because the battle belongs to you, Jesus. And where we are not seeing it, where we are in the valley, where we are in our darkest hour, for those of us who are in a season of mourning, we plead for victory, Jesus. We plead that you would make much of your hand in our life. Oh, Jesus, our sovereign King. You can take a seat for a moment. There's gonna be a scripture up on the screen that I would love for you to read through. If you have kiddos sitting next to you, please feel free to read this with them. Sweet opportunity of connection as a family. And in response to the scripture and in response to what we just sang, would you pray prayers of intercession over your friends and over your family? And would you, would you pray pleading prayers of healing 
and a victory over the sin and over the darkness in your own life. Take a moment to respond.
using this same truth that we just sung together. find clenching my fist on that truth that our God is sovereign. You are sovereign over us. You are faithful forever. Your steadfast love never ends and it is perfect. And we can gladly call you Lord, no matter what we see around us, no matter what we see inside us. Oh Jesus, we love you, our sovereign King. In your name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. Okay, guys, my mask has attacked me. There we go. Well, how we doing? Good. Good. Well, my name is Doug, and I have been assigned a great opportunity. I just have to remind myself and you guys, we, we plan these messages out well in advance. So when this thing got put on the calendar, we had no idea what was going to be going on when I was going to get up here and talk about God and government. But it's going to be good. Okay, so here we go. I want you to use your imagination with me. Okay, we're gonna have a little imagination exercise. Picture with me what it would be like to live in a place 
that was founded on the principles, the ideals, and values of the Bible. Where all the laws are based on the Word of God, all the leaders are godly, honorable, servant-hearted people. There's freedom for each person to be creative, to use their skills and their passions uh, to, within the community to bless and to serve. Righteousness is the norm, and people treat each other with respect and kindness and love. And generosity and care for others assures that no one lacks anything they need. I could go on, but you have enough. Get that picture in your mind. What would it be like to be in a place like that? Well, where could we find a place like that today? Anywhere? God has given me the privilege of uh, traveling to a lot of different places. I've been on uh, five continents and lots of countries, and I haven't found it yet. So what would it take for, a, for that kind of place to exist? A revolution? A righteous uprising against wicked government and leaders? Or, or maybe the church should become more militant and gain more control so these things could be true? Or maybe the church ought to just separate itself from the rest of the world and create its own place? Would those be the answers? In the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come, and that expresses the longing for what we just imagined. The name for what we just imagined, that place, that perfect place, is God's perfect kingdom. That's the place. And we long for that. And when Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, even though he was teaching his disciples to pray that, humankind has been crying out from their heart, longing for that ever since Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden. We long for that. We ache for that. We were made for that. That's why he said, pray, thy kingdom come. We want the kingdom. And the reason we have this struggle is that as followers of Jesus in a fallen world, we found ourselves living in two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of earth. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to explore this idea and the struggle we face from living in two kingdoms or Another way to word it, how do we relate to God and government? Before we go further, I want to make a couple of things clear. First, there's no way to deal with all the questions that are going to come up. My goal is to lay down some biblical principles we can draw from and help us navigate those questions. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of give you a reference. On August 12th, Nick Rowland led a creating space for us on this topic. You can find it online. I recommend you go there. He did a great job of even addressing more of the questions than I'm going to be able to address, but also on there, there's several resources that he shared that I think would be very helpful if you have more questions and want to dig in deeper. So number one, I'm not going to be able to answer all the questions. Number two, the discussion 
Tonight, we'll deal with areas that may feel political. So I expect there will be some tendencies towards some strong emotions. You think? Especially in light of our current political, uh, political and cultural climate. So please know, my intent is not to offend you or even to present my own opinions. I've got some. I like them. They don't matter. Don't want to present my opinions. In fact, my goal is that when I get through here, you won't be able to tell if I'm a Democrat, a Republican, or into public criterion, or whatever that is. Oh. But if you want to send me emails and links to other teachings and articles and videos and all the other that prove me wrong, feel free. Send them to me. I promise I will read every email that's signed with a name. If you truly want to engage in further conversation, if you buy the coffee, I'll talk with you all day. Okay? But let's agree that in this conversation, as in everything, if we offend anyone, let's try to make sure it's not Jesus. Can we do that? In Matthew chapter 22, I invite you to be turning there with me, wherever, whatever version or form of the Bible you have, let's get there, Matthew 22. I want to say that, that one of the things that has grieved me as a follower of Jesus for not just recently, but it just kind of got magnified recently, but for a while now, is I'm hearing lots and lots of voices and lots and lots of words, and not many of them are the voice of God and the words of Scripture. So that's really what I want to do tonight. I want to know what does God have to say about this? What does Scripture have to say about this? Could we hear his voice? Could we hear his words? And could we pray to that end right now? Lord Jesus, you spoke these words just about 2,000 years ago, and they are so incredibly relevant today. Holy Spirit, would you bring the living word to our hearts, to our minds, to our ears. And Father, may we be children that honor you as we respond to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 22 and verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him with his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is on this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. 
So let's set the uh, kind of the stage for this encounter uh, with Jesus. There's two groups mentioned that join together, and their, their goal is to trap Jesus. Let's trap him with his words. And so the first group is the Pharisees. These are a religious group within the Jewish culture that had significant influence among the Jewish people at that time. They were pretty conservative theologically. They believed it was important that you keep the law of God to the smallest detail. That was their determination. And so therefore that governed everything about their life from what they wore uh, to, to what they ate to how they washed their hands, to who they talked to and who they would touch and who they would not. Everything about their lives, their identity was defined and wrapped up in their faith. They also believed that the Jewish people should keep themselves separate from non-Jews. Yeah, to kind of, to help you kind of know why in the world would they think that? Well, because the Jews were God's very special chosen people. God loved them more than he loved anybody else in the whole world ever, according to the way they thought. And we're God's very special chosen people, and so we shouldn't have anything to do with the rest, all those guys. They believe the Jews should be their own nation. Uh, governed by their own laws like the Old Testament. That's what they longed for. While as a whole, during Jesus' day, the Pharisees, uh, they didn't try to overthrow Roman, Roman rule. There were some within this group that would occasionally, you would find some uprisings and some resistance against the Romans that would come out of this group, the Pharisees. So that's the first group, the Pharisees. And then there's another group over here called the Herodians. They got their name from their association with a guy named Herod, uh, who was a person of Jewish heritage who was allowed by the Romans to have some position of authority and rule over the Jews. In fact, he was referred to as the king of the Jews. Now, the Herodians, as far as their religion goes, may or may not have kept the law. Most of them probably weren't nearly as strict as the Pharisees, but some of them may have been more strict than others. But that didn't matter to them because what they did was they took their Jewish faith and they put it in a little box and they would set it aside and they would pull it out on Sabbath and on the feast days and that was about it. Their approach was to become entrenched and embedded as much as possible in the, in the power structures that existed. If, if you're going to survive, if you're going to make it, you got to get in there with them. You've got to be like them. And so they, they got themselves very closely associated with the Romans. But not, they, they not only allied themselves with the Romans, they aligned themselves with the Romans, so much so that there was very little difference between them and the Romans. You just couldn't see much difference. So that's the second group. Interesting partners, aren't they? on two ends of the spectrum. I think these two groups represent two common views among Christians today. For some, the world system and anything connected to it, such as government, is so corrupt, they want as little as possible to do with it. If they could, 
they would separate themselves, and some actually try, uh, separate themselves completely and only interact with other people who share their faith and values. And for others, they believe, hey, if we're going to have any influence in this world, you've got to dive deep into the world system and structures. You've got to get in there with them. And they separate their personal faith from the rest of their life, whether it's their work life or, or their community life or their government life or whatever else. They separate their faith away. And so much so that there's little difference between them and people who are followers of Jesus or not followers of Jesus at all. I see that. I see the Pharisees and the Herodians show up in me and in the people I know all the time. These two groups, in spite of their opposite views, they decide they're going to trap Jesus. And the point of attack they agreed on was try to get him in trouble by asking him about paying taxes to Romans. But as usual, in Jesus' brilliant answer, he goes beyond their question to the real issue. Rather than to be drawn into the trap of talking about the taxes, he goes to the bigger question of what is the relationship between God's people and governments on the earth. And here's how he does it. Using a Roman coin, he says, give me a, give me a what do you pay the taxes with? And they give him a coin. They give him what's called a denarius. A denarius was a gold coin that was represented a day's wage. So I did some thinking, and I thought, okay, well, what would be a denarius today? Well, in our area, it'd be a $100 bill. Okay? Well, I don't carry $100 bills with me. But I got a 10, okay? So we're going to pretend there's an extra zero here. So Jesus says, give me, give me a coin. And he holds it up and he looks at it and says, well, whose picture and inscription is on here? Hey, kids, make a deal with your parents. If you can tell them who's on a $10 bill, they have to give you one. How about it? Sounds like a deal. But we don't put pictures of current rulers on, on, our, uh, on our money. We make sure they're dead before they get on our money. Okay. But there is an inscription. It says right here, the United States of America. It says on the back, the United States of America. Whose authority goes with this? On the United States of America. They're the ones that have the authority to print it. And so Jesus said, Who, you know, whose, coin, whose picture's on the coin? And they said, well, Caesar's picture's on the coin. And he said, well, then give Caesar's what Caesar's. So what he's saying to them, um, the very fact that you have to use their money shows that they have authority over you. But then he closes with a statement, with another question, or actually with a statement. And render to God the things that are God's. Now, remember what he just said, whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. Well, if his image is on it, it belongs to him. He has authority over it. Render to God the things that are God's. When they heard that, 
whether they were Herodians or Pharisees, they were good enough Jews to know exactly what he was talking about. In the book of Genesis, in the creation, and God said, let us make man in our image. And in the image of God, he created man, male and female, he created them. They would have known that, and they knew exactly what he was saying. Whose image is on you? He held up a mirror to him, not really, but he held up a mirror to him, didn't he? Whose image do you see? Well, if the image of Caesar says it belongs to him, what does the fact that God's image is on you say about you? Render to God what belongs to God. See, Jesus is brilliant. He takes it down to the real issue. It was really easy to fight about the politics of taxes. It was really easy to get, to, you know, get all wrapped up. Well, should we, should we follow the Roman government or should we not follow the government? He's going, listen, what's the bigger question? Who really has authority over you? Who has the right to rule and reign over you? Well, the one whose image is on you. The Bible reminds us in several places that all creation bears the imprint of God. The heavens declare his glory. Creation reveals his power and majesty. It all has the imprint of God, but only humans bear the image of God. You belong to God. While there are parts of life that are under the authority of earthly governments, all of our lives are under the authority of God. So here's a suggested assignment for you. When you go home, put a note on your mirror. How many of you put notes on your mirrors? My wife is always putting notes on, my, on the mirror. Thankfully, they're encouraging and they're, and they're uplifting and they're not, hey, don't forget to do all the stuff that you forgot to do yesterday. No, they're, they're good notes. Put a note on your mirror that says, give God the things that are God's. And so that every time you look in that mirror and you see your face, you see that note and say, that's his image. I belong to him. When we talked about lordship, uh, and we jumped into this series, Matt Natesville talked about both the, uh, the, the challenge and the comfort of lordship. The fact that I belong to him brings great comfort, but it also brings some challenges, doesn't it? So in this response, Jesus presents to us the idea that as human beings, we live in two different kingdoms. So let me explain what I mean by a kingdom. Today, we think of a kingdom or a nation primarily as a place uh, defined by geographic boundaries. But in Jesus' day, the idea of the kingdom was attached to the authority of the king. And here's what he means. The kingdom is anywhere and everywhere that the king's authority rules and reigns. And so if his authority doesn't rule and reign, then there's not a kingdom there. You can't separate the king and the kingdom. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're not praying for Jesus to establish geographic boundaries and claim a place. We're praying for his authority and rule to preside over the earth as it does in heaven. When Jesus started his ministry by proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven had come, all the way up until his ascension into heaven, 
he had followers who were going, okay, so when's the kingdom going to happen? When are you going to lay out the boundaries and set up the throne and, and define all the, and he goes, you don't understand. My kingdom is not of this earth. In fact, that's exactly what he said to Pontius Pilate just before Pontius Pilate condemned him to be crucified. My kingdom's not of this earth. Otherwise, my followers would be rising up and fighting against you, but they're not because my kingdom, my rule, and my reign is different. It's not of this world. So the first kingdom we live in as followers of Jesus is the kingdom of God or also called the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus says in John 3, we are born from above. Paul says in Philippians 3 that our citizenship is in heaven. And Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, we are sojourners and exiles. Or in other words, people who aren't home yet. Because we're citizens of, king, of, the, of heaven, we naturally long for home. We long to be in a place where our king rules completely and fully over every aspect of life. And when the place we live is not like that, and by the way, the place we live is not like that, it's natural for us to try and make it more like home. That's why we feel the angst. That's why we feel the struggle. We want this place to be, it's broken and we want it to be fixed because we belong to a kingdom that where everything is fixed and is good and we'd love for that kingdom to come. But our purpose on earth, hear me now, our purpose on earth is not to bring in the kingdom of God to the earth as a government, but to be the kingdom of God on earth. That place where Jesus rules and reigns needs to be anywhere I'm standing. It's in here. It is my job. It is your job as a follower of Jesus. It is our job collectively as the church to be the kingdom, not to bring it, but to be it. And when we do that, when we are being the kingdom of God, that place where Jesus rules and reigns, it's going to change and it's going to bless the place we live. The most world-changing, transformational thing we could ever do is to be a disciple of Jesus who proclaims the gospel, the good news. That's the only thing that's ever changed this world for any good anyway. to be the kingdom. The kingdom of God then is present right now. It's here, it's with me, it is within me, he says. The spirit of God within me allows me to live in the kingdom of God. It is here, it is now, but it is also not yet. Because even I am still broken and need to be fixed. And I long for that day when that happens within me. And I'm longing for the kingdom that has come and is still coming. I long for a kingdom that is now and is not yet. Being a citizen of kingdom also means that our first allegiance is to the king of our home country. No matter where I live on this earth, I am always first and foremost a citizen of heaven. I may submit to other rulers and governments, but my allegiance is to 
Jesus. And when my allegiance to Jesus is shared or replaced by something or someone else, well, what do you call it when someone or something occupies the place that God belongs to? I believe the word in the Bible for it is idolatry. Before we can know how to live in the kingdoms of the earth, we have to make sure that we have a right perspective of our place in the kingdom of heaven. So now we're ready to look at the second kingdom Jesus talks about, the kingdoms of the earth. Let's be clear, in this instance, Jesus isn't saying that the kingdom of heaven is good and the kingdoms of the earth are all bad, even though he could have said that. That would be true. But that's not the point he's making. He's emphasizing the difference in operation. And perhaps the most detailed explanation in Scripture of the role of government that we have given to us is in Romans chapter 13. So I just want to read that to you. I want to hear the words of God, not the opinions of man. Romans chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, earthly kingdoms. For there is no authority except for God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. I'm going to address this a little more in just a moment, but let me just remind you, who was the government that Paul was writing under? Oh, it was the Roman Empire. The ones who in just a few short years are going to start killing Christians. under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, then he writes that. That is God's plan and purpose for governments. Again, I can't dig deeply into that. Uh, Nick Rowland does a great job on that, creating space to talk more about, about that. The kingdoms of the earth have authority over earthly matters only. They're important because, God, because government is established by God to be his instrument to protect the righteous and punish the wicked. Because of this, according to the scriptures, we are to live in obedience to the law. When and if it's possible, we should try and influence our government to, to create and enforce laws that are in line with godly principles of right and wrong. And when the government requires us to disobey our heavenly king, we need to respond like the apostles did. We must obey God rather than men. Let me give you some context to think about. In the early days of the church, 
There was not a dem democratic culture that they could participate in. The idea that they could influence the government or have any power, whatever, was foreign to their thinking. In fact, Paul wrote that in Romans, um, in, in Romans chapter 13. Um, and then a little later, under, an, under another Roman emperor, he wrote 1 Timothy chapter 2, where he says that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. You know who the emperor was when he wrote that? Emperor Nero. A few years after Paul wrote that, Nero had Paul's head cut off. A few years after Paul wrote that, Nero set Christians on fire and used them to light the streets of Rome. That was the emperor, and Paul still says, prayers and supplications and thanksgiving should be made for those who are in leadership. That's the context of the New Testament Christians. Never once in the New Testament were Christians called to rise up and fight against the kingdom of the earth. Can I do a timeout? That irks me. There is something within me that cries out for justice that says, why, aren't, why didn't he tell us to? They're killing the Christians. Why aren't they rising up and fighting back? One of the things I wanted to do was walk through some church history with you guys because it's incredible, the stories of how the church has responded to government and kind of what's happened and all that. Don't have time to do that. But that's the context I'm afraid that in this area especially, we tend to read the Bible with a very Western perspective. We equate democracy with the Bible and we see our civil liberties as God-given rights. And if anyone tries to take those away from us, we'll just get our guns and die fighting to keep those rights. I want you to think about something. One person said the true test of your view of discipleship is whether it will work in any culture at any time. So what about the majority of Christians in the world today? They're not in America, by the way. The majority of Christians in the world don't live in America. Many of them live in countries where their liberties are not only not protected, they don't have them. How are they to live in, in, in relationship to the government? Should they constantly be rising up in opposition to their governments and try to overthrow them so they can have the freedoms that we, that we have and cherish? It seems to me we have created a version of Christianity that not only does not involve suffering and persecution, but absolutely rejects the idea of it. Such a view of Christianity is a far, far cry from what Jesus promised his disciples. Jesus told them things like this, in this world, you will have trouble. The world will hate you because it hated me. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for my sake. Well, I'm not advocating we go out and seek persecution. I'm saying that according to Jesus, we ought to expect it. I'm grateful that we have religious freedom in this country. And I pray that God will continue to give us that and that we will use it and steward it wisely. But I am not terrified of losing it. You know why? Because the church, listen to me, 
The church has never needed the permission or the favor of the government to be who God has called us to be. And the fact is the church has seen much of its greatest growth in times of the greatest persecution. Do you know where the church is growing the fastest today? One of the places the church is growing fastest today, China, where they have zero religious freedom. In many parts of the world, one of the first things they teach new believers is that they should expect to be persecuted for their faith. When someone discipled you, do they ever disciple you in persecution and suffering? Probably not, me either. I shudder to think what would happen to us, myself included, if we suddenly found ourselves facing persecution. You see, we have trusted in the favor of the kingdoms of earth for so long that I'm afraid we don't know how to trust God. And I think that explains why for so many, there is so much emotion tied to who are the leaders of the government, who, what group is in power. We're afraid if the wrong people or the wrong party is control, then things won't be the way we believe they should be. And they probably won't, by the way. Because the kingdoms of the earth are made up of people. They are imperfect. Governments are terrible saviors. If we're looking for them to bring in righteousness and goodness and rescue us from evil and sin and destruction, we will be disappointed. And human leaders are poor messiahs. Not one has been able to usher in the reign of peace and wholeness that our hearts long for. Not one. So here's a quick summary of the two kingdoms. The kingdom of God has absolute authority over everything and everyone. It is spiritual. It is eternal. It is a kingdom that is now and not yet. And that's the kingdom we are citizens of. It's where we belong. The kingdom of earth, it has derived authority. It gets authority from God. It only has authority because God said so. It is earthly. It is temporary. It is imperfect. And we are residents here, not citizens. I found this quote. It was written about 100 years after the birth of the church. Christians are no different from the rest of their nationality, language, or customs. They live in their own countries, but as sojourners, they fulfill all their duties as citizens, but suffer as foreigners. They find their homeland wherever they are, but their homeland is not in any one place. They are in the flesh, but do not live according to the flesh. They live on earth, but are citizens of heaven. They obey all the laws, but they live at a higher level than required by law. They love all, but all persecute them. So what are some principles we can learn to help us live in these two kingdoms? I'll just hit these real quick. The kingdom of heaven will only come in its fullness when the king himself comes to bring it. We belong to heaven's kingdom, therefore our allegiance is to heaven's king. We must live under the rule of earthly kingdoms or governments that are imperfect and incapable of fixing what is wrong with the world. As much as we can, we live in submission to the government, but we do not compromise our allegiance to Christ for the sake of peace or prosperity in this life. 
sometimes patriotism, love for my country, and faithfulness for Jesus line up. But they are not the same thing. The greatest impact we can have on this earth is when we draw a circle around ourselves, draw a circle around our home, and say, Jesus, let your kingdom come here, and let your will be done here. So as we close, I want to turn our attention back to the king and the kingdom. This video we're about to see reminds us we have a king who will one day fulfill this longing we have for his kingdom. Feel free to sing along. Some of you already have. Feel the shadows deepen. We do. But do you know that all the dark
Mosaic, I want to thank you for your spiritual act of worship tonight. The way that we came and worshiped here together through song and through the word. But as you saw those faces up there, they were bringing the kingdom where they were. And then collectively, the kingdom of God was bringing their experience. And we know that through technology, virtually, it became a virus that went throughout in hundreds and thousands and almost millions of people were impacted by that video. When people say, why doesn't the church do something about what's happening in this culture? We are. When the kingdom impacts who we are, when we allow the kingdom to come to us day in, day out, through our time in the scriptures, through our time in prayer, through our daily walk with Jesus and life transformation, the kingdom comes and Jesus goes out through us. I want in any way that you feel led right now, whether that's getting on your knees, whether that's standing and raising your hands, whether that's just sitting where you are, we're going to read the Lord's Prayer again together. But just pray in whatever way you feel led. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Mosaic, don't just be hearers of the word. Be doers of the word. Take what you've heard today. Leave this place and transform lives. Have a fantastic day.